Today's episode of That Song From That Movie is coming up after these messages. Music! Everyone loves it. But who listens to the lyrics? We do. She doesn't live in a shantytown. She lives in capital S shantytown. <laughs> yeah. You put patches from old shantytown on a resume, <laughs> you're not getting that job, you know what I mean? On the Story Song Podcast, we break down the lyrics you've heard a thousand times. Go so, to Barnes & Noble, 20 bucks, farming for dummies. Right. <laughs> Chapter one, don't farm at night. Chapter two, don't farm in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> the index is just like blizzard. See also, don't. We also look at the history of the song. So the monster mash is on the r <laughs> Clearly it should be on the monster chart. <laughs> oh, it was, it was number one on the monster chart. Oh, okay. oh, the Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you download podcasts. Daniel Radcliffe is famous for being the boy who lived, but now he's playing the man who died. They both have their special tricks. Well, let's find out exactly what on today's episode of that song from that movie. Hola. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey for the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your Swiss Army host, Dietrich, and today we are joined by the scary thing that does big poops, Alex. So accurate. Every week it gets more and more accurate. <laughs> just, just a great description of your like your biography. <laughs> and also joining us is continuous fart noise, Ben. Nice. Is this the closed caption version of the podcast? I wish I had watched it with uh, subtitles to see whether or not that appeared at the bottom of the screen. Must do. It'd be good to see how they actually describe it. People who haven't seen this film may be very confused. <laughs> this is one of those ones where you might want to see the film before you listen to this one because nothing's going to make sense. Absolutely nothing. And even if you've seen the film, it's not going to make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so good. How are you guys anyway? Are you asking us what the weather's like, Ben? I was going to set it up. I'd say it's overcast with strong chance of rain. Oh, really? It's absolutely teeming it down here. Uh, not quite It's yet. just overcast, yeah. Did you get hail the other day? Yeah, really bad as well. We got it Yeah, we did, yeah. And whilst it happened, a bird flew into our window. <laughs> you thought it was just like a giant block of ice. <laughs> it was like in the other room, we felt like the window had smashed or something. It was so loud. Good. God, it's the apocalypse ever closer. Watched any films recently? The Farewell, Lulu Wang's film. A lot of people were saying it should have been nominated for an Oscar. Is that the one with Aquafina? With Aquafina, yeah. Yeah, really good. I think I bawled my eyes out at the end, to be fair. But yeah, other than that, I think I've just been watching more light-hearted films, such as Ocean's Eleven. But not Ocean's Eight. Eight was a disappointment. I think Eight was a disappointment because yeah. it had such a good cast, didn't it? It should have been great. It felt like yeah. it had everything going for it. It felt like a slam dunk after about half an hour. I'm like, oh no, this isn't good, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh no. I did watch on a plane though, so maybe that's how it No, did. no, no. No, I, I watched it in the comfort of my own home and it still didn't uh, reach any decent level. I watched it in the comfort of the cinema. <laughs> so we've experienced it across all major platforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Sandra Bullock. What about you, Alex? Have you watched anything? We watched the film Late Night last night, which is um, Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. I think it was like a Mindy Kaling oh, film. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, where the Emma Thompson plays like a chat show host. It was really good, actually. Because I think at the time, I think it came out last year. I think some of the reviews were quite critical, but it's really difficult to pin down like the genre of the film and like what it's what it is. But I enjoyed it. Thought it was good. Thought it was funny. I'm Interesting. Put that off for a while. So yeah, I might actually watch it. Made a good few points about sort of this weird trend that's happening in the moment in America with these sort of like daily talk shows. You know where they're just basically trying to create stuff that will go viral and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite interesting. 
today's episode is Montage, which I think is by Andy Hull and Robert McDowell. Yep, that's from right. From the movie Swiss Army Man. So to find out what happened when this came out, Alex, go ahead. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Dietrich. I want you to cast your minds back all the way. Luke, we're talking a long time ago, January 2016. Wait, slow down. (laughs) So long ago, I can't even remember. Major Tim Peake conducted the first spacewalk outside the ISS by a British astronaut. Legend. Britannia. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's nice to have some positive news. He picked some pretty lame songs, though. You know, because you get to choose, like, the songs that you go up to, and one of them was like, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. What would you two pick? That's Ooh, the question. Well, we've talked about it before, so it'd be Limp Biscuit rolling. <laughs> <laughs> talked about this before? Did we talk about this before? Not going up into space, but listening to that song whilst being on a ride. Oh, like the roller coaster. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, the, the rolling roller coaster. <laughs> you could listen to Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Remind you of your favourite space-themed film, Armageddon, as you're going up there. <laughs> Take my breath away. Yeah, go for that one. <laughs> how long does it take? Like, how many songs do you need? Probably quite a while, yeah. Well, he, I think he was only allowed to choose three. But anyway, on the same theme of stars, Star Wars The Force Awakens became the highest grossing film of all time in the US domestic box office overtaking Avatar. And it's still the highest grossing US domestic today. If you'd have asked me to guess what was the highest, I wouldn't have gone with Force Awakens. I know it was. Well, I just assumed that Avengers uh, Endgame overtook everything, yeah, but same. I, it, was number, it was number two. Uh, at a time when we were all still wide-eyed and bushy-tailed thinking about Star Wars. <laughs> if I could go back to those days. I think obviously it came out in December, didn't it? Yeah. But I think by January, mid-January it was uh, the highest. Yeah. So get your hankies ready, guys. One Direction began the hiatus. It was supposed oh, no. to last 18 months. But we're still waiting. <laughs> God, it's like 2020 all over again. <laughs> we're still waiting, guys. When are they coming back? Was this like the full hiatus or just when Zayn left? No, this was the full one, I think. I think Zayn had left right. previously. They've probably still got a fair bit of money, all of them. I think every single one of them released like solo material, didn't they? Just fill the Westlife slot when they're in their sort of late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, they might do a few comeback shows way down the line. Yeah, when their audience are sort of, you know, mothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And as well, I don't know if you remember, but 2016 was the year of the deaths. Right, oh, yeah. Yeah, and January was in particular. So, David Bowie. R.I.P. Alan Rickman. R.I.P. And Terry Wogan. Oh, oh wow. Wogan. Gosh. All in January 2016. Do any of you want to name your favourite David Bowie and or Alan Rickman films? And if you've got a Terry Wogan film, go for it. <laughs> it's a Terry Wogan film. I bet he must be in something. He's in it like Love Actually or something. He was. He wasn't listed as having any filmography. It was oh, all TV. Damn. Because I was like, I was looking for. Well, surely he must have featured in something before, like like Alan Partridge the movie or whatever. But no. well, for Alan Rickman, I'll say Galaxy Quest. Yeah, I was going to say Galaxy Quest as well, dear. Not Blur Dry, the film where he plays a hairdresser. <laughs> Never <laughs> even heard of it. <laughs> no, no. Favorite David Bowie films. Labyrinth. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Labyrinth, isn't it? Manning Felt to Earth is pretty good as well. Yeah, it is. Prestige. Zoolander. Prestige, yeah. Of course, Zoolander. Tesla. Let's dance. Um, what else have you seen? Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. <laughs> he's in the beginning of The Snowman. Do you remember when he's like walking in the attic? You know, the cartoon The Snowman. Welcome to the, that Bowie from that movie podcast. <laughs> that Bowie <laughs> from that movie. Yeah, I was trying to think of Alan Rickman films. And like, obviously, there are quite a few, but mainly Harry Potter ones. My favourite line ever from Alan Rickman is... Uh, He's in Sense and Sensibility, the film, like from the early 90s, with like Emma Thompson and uh, Kate Winslet. And one point he goes, the air was full of spices. <laughs> and that's just my all-time favourite. Obviously. You almost have to pinch your nose to do an Alan Rickman voice, though. Do, try and do an Alan Rickman impression and then pinch your nose. 
It sounds much better. The air was full of spices. There you go. <laughs> I mean, Hans Gruber, that's his best role. I mean, it's more oh, yeah. of oh, Robin Hood. Why and uh, Fresh Beer, yeah, Fresh Yeah. I was Fresh Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Peace. I'm still thinking about Will Smith from last week. <laughs> and that's the news. I think Rickman would have improved the Fresh Prince, wouldn't he? Well, he would have made it different, whether or not he would have improved it. Well, like the long lost cousin. <laughs> so as um, Dee mentioned earlier, and obviously we've just done the year that came out, actually the month and the year that it was released, uh, the film Swiss Army Man, was when it was in Sundance Festival. It wasn't when it got a wide release. The wide release was actually in July of the same year. Um, and I say wide release, I don't think it had like a massive international every cinema kind of release. But yeah, yeah, it definitely what... did not because <laughs> no. that's the reason why me and my wife didn't end up seeing it until yesterday. Yeah, I didn't see it at the cinema. I, I got it on DVD like a couple of years ago that I watched it, which is weird because I remember Daniel Radcliffe actually doing a um, sort of like a junket tour around TV shows like The One Show, Graham Norton and stuff with his dummy. So he was really promoting it. So it was really weird that it wasn't. They didn't get that wide release. Anyway, before we go into that, maybe I should give a bit of a synopsis of the film. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's produced by A24, and it was written and directed by Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, who are credited as Daniels. Not the Daniels, but just Daniels. Swiss Army Man tells the story of Hank Thompson, who is played by Paul Dana, alone on a desert island and on the verge of suicide, encounters a flatulent, a flatulent corpse, who he later names Manny, who's played by Daniel Radcliffe. The two develop an unusual friendship, as Manny slowly becomes more animated, even learning to talk. Hank soon discovers he can manipulate Manny's body like a Swiss Army knife, and they use these newfound powers to try and find their way home from remote wilderness. How did it do? Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> You described the opening five minutes of the film perfectly. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to describe yeah. the rest of it because it's, it's a surprise that everyone needs to see, really. But I mean, I think the first thing to mention about this film is that there are a lot of farts. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's a, well, there's a lot of just potty humour in general. Yeah. It's kind of central to everything, isn't it? Very. And actually, this sort of like seemingly brain dead potty humour actually caused a lot of walkouts when it first premiered at Sundance. So I think a few people got to that first scene where Paul Dana's riding on the back of Daniel Radcliffe through the sea <laughs> using his butt as a propeller and were like, no, this isn't the film for me. Which I think is a shame, because if they had a state, they would have realised it's a bit more, there's a lot more going on. Well, I said a lot more, there's definitely a lot more going on, but I mean, that does still prevail throughout. Before I ask you guys' opinion of the film, the Daniels, or Daniels, have said that when they originally conceived the idea, everything was based around making the audience laugh with the first fart and cry with the last. <laughs> I, I don't think I cried with the last. <laughs> no, I did not cry with the last either. I had the same feeling as I think. I'm pretty sure it's been a while since I've seen it, but Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's, I guess, the, um, I want to say love interest, but I think that's pushing it. Yeah. We're going to have to give a spoiler alert here because we're just going to end up talking about this film. <laughs> Her closing line, isn't it just, what the fuck? Or what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think. It's the second film she was in that her last line is fuck. <laughs> just as a tidbit well, I don't know what the other one is I can't remember what it was Scott it, Pilgrim but... 10 Cloverfield Lane yes it was 10 Cloverfield Lane great film well until the end until the end John Goodman should have been nominated for an Oscar <laughs> so what do you guys actually think of the film did the farts hit you on these emotional levels yeah I only watched this movie yesterday and in my notes I've written down instead of my opinion I put now you've slept on it why don't you just say what you think and honestly I don't have an opinion on this film because I can't figure it out I don't know if it's good or not. <laughs> like the be the beginning was good. I enjoyed the middle, but then the ending just fell flat. What is it about it that you did like? As in, not like you don't get because that's obvious that th these things exist. But like when you say you can't figure out if you like it or not, why is that? There are elements that I really enjoyed about the film, 
which annoyingly are all the bits that the trailer portrayed the film to be. For example, essentially using Daniel Radcliffe as this weapon, as this tool. I enjoyed all that bit. The bit with the song that obviously we'll come on to. It didn't go anywhere, which would be fine if it had something to say, but I don't think it really had anything to say at the end. Mm -hmm. After the film, me and my wife discussed the film and we ultimately decided that it was like a loner version of Shrek. (laughs) So like it's that same sort of story of acceptance and better out than in, that's what I always say. Sort of thing. <laughs> film based on that one line. Yeah, I suppose like going against social conventions. The female in the film is a redhead. You've got a noble steed who's ridden, but he's got powers that he shouldn't have. For example, a talking donkey or a farting corpse. There's a lot of <laughs> parallels here, but Shrek does it better. And it also has like musical numbers. I mean, I didn't expect that to come up as a comparison. Alex deleting his notes as he goes. <laughs> Damn it. All that stuff I had around Shrek gone like that. <laughs> so it's like Shrek for loners. There you go. Shrek for incels. Shrek for, <laughs> Shrek for incels? Wow. Like a Guardian headline? Okay, that's too far. But you know what I mean. Shrek for incels. <laughs> I, see what you, I see what you mean, though, because at the same, I feel like the bits I like, because it's probably been about, I don't know, I think I saw it just after it had come out. I feel like the bits I've remembered fondly are those bits that like you say are in the trailer or the montage scenes and when they're sort of sort of building this friendship yeah and yeah it does feel more like it should have been a short film and the idea was that it's a short film and that the ending is like a oh let's make this into a feature and we don't really actually have a a core sort of like narrative built through it it's more like it's a concept and that you built around the concept and then you don't really know the narrative it feels like it should have been a music video which is interesting, actually, because the two guys that directed it, Daniels, were beforehand, before this, this was their, obviously their first feature film, before then a lot of the uh, things they made were music videos. Okay. Oh, really? Oh. Yes. The band that record the song, well, it's two members of a band called the Manchester Orchestra, who performed Montage. So should we go into the song, actually, now? We've, we've talked a bit about the film. Yeah, it's got a few of your opinions. So yeah, the song is Montage, and it was written and recorded by Andrew Hall and Robert McDowell, who were both part of the Atlanta-based indie group Manchester Orchestra. They did the full soundtrack they didn't just do this one song and the daniels or daniels I can't, in my notes it's either daniels or the daniels but it is daniels directed a couple of the band's music videos so i think they did about three and then also while they were writing this film they actually they did the video for turn down for what i don't know if you know that video oh right yeah oh <laughs> It's like a really strange video where like a man's like humping the wall and the floor and then like all the other characters sort of like take his like sexual energy and do weird stuff as well. Yeah. So they did the video for that. And actually there's a bit in that video where the guy who originates all the the action, his like penis is moving from side to side robotically. And it's actually the same prop that they used in Swiss Army Man. But they were doing it at the same time. So that's why they had that stuff available. And they also did the video for Rise of the Phoenix, the Tenacious D song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So they do have a quite a bit of experience working in music videos. So I think maybe a bit that's of a pedigree. Why, yeah, you, that's where that comparison comes from. And I think you do see that in particular in the montage scene. That scene feels like a video, doesn't it, on its yep. own? I think it's, it stands out completely as that. But yeah, just a few things more about the song. So the song montage features roughly midway through the film, I think, as far as I remember. Hank starts to discover the true potential of Manny's powers, which are narrated in the lyrics of the song. Killed a raccoon using your body like it's a machine gun hanging from vines. <laughs> then this is it. Like if you hear, because the song, I think it gained like a further notice for being on the eBay advert campaign. I know it was in this country. Yeah, I don't remember them using those lines in the ad. <laughs> no, no, I think it's just the opening bars. <laughs> so I think like a lot of people will kind of recognise this song, even if they don't know it. But I think if you listen to it, you would recognise it, yeah. but you wouldn't know that those were the lyrics. 
Definitely not. The song also narrates their progression into friendship, possibly even love. <laughs> That's one of the lines. <laughs> falling in love. Like a lot of songs in the soundtrack, like it's sung a cappella, as well as Hall and McDowell. The song also features vocals from Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Hall and McDowell said the choice to use a cappella songs was to imitate the pair's seclusion in the film, just their voices without outside interference. And as more people enter the film, the songs start to pick up instruments. Uh, yeah, makes sense. That's quite yeah. clever. And then, yeah, so Daniel Radcliffe thought the song deserved an Oscar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wasn't well... nominated, obviously. The film was not nominated for anything. Do you want to know the films that were nominated for Best Picture? Uh, uh, yes. Best Song, sorry. Yes. That year? City of Stars from La La Land, which was the winner. Great. Great. Yeah. How Far I Go from Moana. Yep. Great song. Yep. I Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls. So I don't think it really had a chance. <laughs> no. I heard this song first on another podcast before the eBay campaign, before I'd seen the film. And it was a podcast about Richard Simmons, 90s aerobic dancer. Great. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast was called Finding Richard Simmons. <laughs> what do you think to the song, the scene? And we can talk more about the film, obviously. It is the best scene in the film. And you saying about their background in making music videos, you probably have a hyper focus on sort of a three, four minute part it feels like they've got that in mind when they're making it. As soon as, like, does he snap his fingers or something, doesn't he? And then as it starts, when they're sat on the, they're sat on the Yeah, bus. he uses his fingers to make a fire. I think. That's it, yes. And it's, they just sort of... I think the beat of the song, it just... It, it's like it builds and builds and builds, and it's quite exciting. Even more so than the rest of the film, it's a just suspend all understanding at this point. Just suspend all... Everything you know about <laughs> space and time and what makes sense and what doesn't and just kind of i guess laugh it's the only part i've rewatched, and yet it is really it is really funny and i think if i treat the film more as a comedy i enjoy it and the song is very uplifting i don't get the thing of it makes you want to cry because i just don't yeah i don't get that either i think i was shocked that this song was actually made for this film i'd heard it on the as we said before the ebay adverts so I just assumed it was like uh, like an album track from someone like the Lumineers or yeah. Imagine Dragons, someone like that. So yeah, looking at the lyrics was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> Suddenly realising, <laughs> oh, this is all the things that happened in the film. Yeah, well, that's interesting, is it? Because it's literally describing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have things in musicals where they like, literally talk about like, oh, look, there's a, a car over there. I don't yes. know, example. I couldn't think of anything that was like, this is literally describing what is happening in the scene right now. <laughs> As if they're just kind of having to improv on the fly. Recording. Yeah, and even like the pop, pop, pop bit at the beginning is, is it, it, the actual lyric is popcorn. <laughs> it's yeah. like pop, popcorn. Because they're making popcorn. So specifically based on what they're doing right now in the film. It's weird. I mean, I'd love to have been the eBay execs. Like when you're thinking, you must have just had to have played like a 20 second snippet of the song and been like, oh yeah, that's great. And then, oh, is that all there is? Yeah, 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 that's all there is. No, there's nothing else. Because there's no way they would have picked it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the comments is that to sort of go back to like the points that you guys were making at the beginning. I suppose it's making is about social, um, like what's acceptable within social realms. So, like, him getting an erection and stuff, Paul Dano is like, that's weird. But, I mean, it's a dead person who is alive. Like, you know, yeah. there's other things that are more weird than that. So, I guess it's kind of making a commentary on that kind of stuff. And, obviously, the farting. Well, it was symbolism. Symbolism. Paul Dano yeah. character was dead on the inside, but alive on the outside. Ooh. While Daniel Radcliffe's Just... character was dead oh. on the outside, but alive on the inside. Sounds like you got it there, do Yeah. And together they make one whole person. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, Isn't the father God. at the end just like smiling like maniacally as he goes? As... Well, this is the thing, I don't know if we want to go into spoilers. But anyway, the ending, it's. Well, uh, well, hang on. It's... <laughs> I don't know if we want to do this, but let's do this. I mean, are we going to. We gonna... we'll go to a break. After the break, spoilers, everyone. Oh, okay. This is your warning. <laughs> this is your warning now. We're going to talk about the ending of the film. See you on the other side.
So we'll discuss the ending a bit, as as Dee's already given you enough time to uh, stop listening if you wanted to. So the ending of the film, guys. <laughs> it's a bit weird. It's a bit in contrast to the rest of the film, I suppose. Well, I don't know if it's a contrast, but it sort of it does stand out as different to what you were sort of promised, I guess, in the trailer. Like you said, Dee, it, it doesn't really relate that much to the fact that Daniel Radcliffe's a Swiss army man and he can do all these weird things. It sort of ends up that Paul Dano's character has a picture of a woman on his phone who you think might be his wife or girlfriend, but you don't really know. I think Banny, the, the corpse, sort of falls in love with the idea of the woman at one point, and you think, oh, it's kind yeah. of weird. And then it sort of transpires that actually the woman on the phone is just some woman that Paul Dana's character has been taking pictures of on the bus, and he doesn't actually know her. And the entire time they haven't been trying to make it back from some remote wilderness. They've just been living in the woods behind her house. Without her knowledge. Without her knowledge, <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they sort of, I guess they kind of confront her or they come to her house and she has a family and it's all a bit weird. And then they, they both get chased down to the beach. But at this point, Manny the corpse is like still corpse-like. So it looks as though Paul Dana's just imagined it the entire time until the ending when he sort of farts off into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> That, is that summed up nicely? Yeah. The ending. I'm crying here. I'm crying. <laughs> I think it would have been better if he wasn't alive and it was all in his head. Well, that seemed to make sense as an ending, I suppose, didn't it? That would have been a better ending. Or at least he he can see him going off. You can still have the beautiful farting off into the sunset moment, but you don't need it. I mean, it's just, it breaks the barriers. I mean, a lot of films do that sort of like, oh, is it real? Is it not real? And yeah. usually in a more serious tone because it's quite, you know, it's quite a dark subject matter. But I guess they just kind of like, to me, it's just kind of throwing it all the way at the end. It's like, no, it's just about the fart jokes. Yeah, I kind of liked it in a way because, like you say, you once there's a reveal that you think, oh, he's not alive and it's all in Paul Dana's head and he's just lost his mind a bit. I kind of liked that they then threw it back on it and it's like, no, he was, he was an, <laughs> a real, like a live corpse. I just sort of thought it was quite funny, but it wasn't like a, yeah, it wasn't a cry. It was more of a <laughs> no. This is this is just a weird film, and they're they're embracing it. It's unashamedly weird, isn't it? Yeah, because I suppose if you have the other ending, it gets rid of the weirdness a bit. It sort of yeah. brings it back. Yeah, I suppose. With this film, I would have much preferred and was sort of mentally prepared for Castaway, but instead we're seeing it from the vision of whatever Tom Hanks' his character is called. Hanks. Wait. Yes. Yes. Paul Dana's called Hank. Yes. Yeah, so this is actually the, the name. His name is actually Hank Thompson. Which is obviously an inverse oh, really? of Tom Hanks, yeah, because of Castor. <laughs> <laughs> you stumbled upon the truth, Eddie. But yeah, that is true. Oh, well. Yeah, so to me, it should have been a film where, obviously in Castaway, he's talking to Wilson, he thinks he's a real person, but we're just seeing the fact that it's just a ball. Yeah. And he's using like ice skates. And But we're now seeing it Castaway from the perspective of the character who has created a real person around this trash. Yeah. yeah. But that's not the film. After five minutes, he's already off the island. <laughs> yeah. I think what's kind of odd about it is like, obviously at the end, it sort of reveals that he does have these special powers all along. But then like when they're sort of chasing them through the woods, when you sort of realise that Paul Dana has been behind the house the entire time, all the stuff looks like, well, what were they doing then? Because it looks like they were doing stuff to sort of escape the wilderness. But obviously they yeah. weren't. I think with the song as well, though, like it's like a fever dream, isn't it? I think it's got like a frenetic, manic pace of everything. Mm. And then the second half, when it dulls it back down, it again makes sense to coming back to reality yeah. and the difficulties of normal life. When I describe that and I'm thinking, I'm listening to myself like, that sounds like a decent film, but it's only ever known as the farty penis compass film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting what you said there so about the ups and downs, because I guess it's kind of trying to channel his his mental health issues. 
and I guess like that moment in the middle with the montage is is sort of that euphoria of like oh this is where things are, are, are at their peak of of greatness and then obviously everything only gets worse from there really yeah and it is the peak of the actual film yeah in terms of watching and enjoying it oh yes definitely yeah 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 you're probably right I think the song like as well just really really works in the scene really works yeah yeah it's just so uplifting and it's just so every time I hear it, it just like just pumps me up <laughs> I feel like for an indie film there's so much heavy editing and like cool camera shots and like you know like splicing of film to like make it faster and more frenetic like you know cutting pits out and like you know yeah. the bit where he's like snaps or when he like flies it just looks like it's a million miles an hour and it's got a bit more force behind it there's a lot of cool little nifty tricks and they probably picked up quite a lot with music videos and there's a lot i guess it's a lot more overly edited when you've only got three minutes to work with yeah you can tell their expertise comes out in that music section the montage bit just because yeah. they're just throwing all their skills at it and there's so many like cool camera shots and angles and it's those sort of little things oh how do we make this the sh- like he's getting a shower while manny dead daniel radcliffe is basically just spewing water out over him because he is also an infinite <laughs> yeah. source of water for some reason yeah <laughs> it's like oh, how can we turn this into like a longer scene doesn't need to it only needs five seconds because then it's made its point it's weird isn't it? it does it feels a bit like when, when you just describe them like it's a practice film like they're trying to really get to grips with how everything could work i mean obviously it is their first film i think like you mentioned ben uh, in the break like oh well what was the progression from music videos to film and basically i think obviously they'd, they'd received a bit of a, of a reputation for doing quite innovative and interesting music videos and they sort of were just throwing ideas around and they'd meet with producers and they'd come up with the craziest thing they could and everyone would usually sort of say well no that's stupid but then like one producer was like why don't you make that film about the fighting dead guy so then they, they went to Sundance and they basically went to every single sort of Sundance masterclass that they did. So oh, yeah. on screenwriting, production, editing, all that. And they just went through that entire process, which is probably why the film premiered there. Yeah. And then they continued to make music videos on the side, which is when they made the turn down for what video. And obviously the two things sort of informed each other. But yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's, it does feel like a lot like it's like a practice film and they've just thrown everything at it. Do you think like this is still at that point of Daniel Radcliffe trying to shed his Harry Potter skin and just going for as much crazy, zany, completely left field choices to unshackle himself from that typecast? When did Deathly Hallows Part 2 come out? God, like 2012 mm. or 13 or something? Yeah, yeah, 2012, I think. So. Okay, so I feel like at this point, he's probably at the point where he's going, I have enough money to last me a lifetime, I'm just going to do oh, whatever yeah. I think sounds fun. I think that's it with him, isn't it? Like, he does seem to just pick stuff where he's like, well, I'll just do whatever sounds interesting. And actually with this, the reason why, the only reason he accepted it was like, well, I'll do it, but I want to do all my own stunts. That was his one thing. <laughs> right. So actually, like, the vast majority of Manny in the film is Daniel Radcliffe, because you would think there was a double, which they only used, not a double as in a person, but an actual mannequin, hence the name Manny, presumably. They only used it on instances where someone would die. (laughs) Every other time it's Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) He must have fallen a lot. Because yeah. he's thrown about like anything, like a complete ragdoll. Well, they sort of said, like, well, if, if Harry Potter can lay in the dirt for eight hours a day, then we can't complain about anything on the film. How do you get Paul Dano? <laughs> so Paul, D- Paul Dano accepted the film because of the premise that I gave at the beginning about what, making you laugh with the first fart cry with the last. He accepted okay. it on that. <laughs> he was like, I like it. He's an indie darling, isn't he? Really? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I yeah. guess like Little Miss Sunshine, I think, was his first like big break. Yeah. And then There Will Be Blood straight after that. I'm pretty sure Paul Thomas Anderson was one of the sort of the Sundance constructions, like his first film, or one of his first films, Hard Eight, was through that exact same process. 
And like Reservoir Dogs, you know, Quentin Tarantino did that through the Sundance labs. Yeah, well, actually, Quentin Tarantino gave them notes on this film. Really? Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's experts just sitting in the in a room basically telling you about all the tips and tricks to follow. But yeah, Paul Dano, he's, he's not really made that jump. He has this very sort of like stark yeah. face, doesn't he? Like a gormless mm-hmm. look. I mean, in Prisoners, when he's just like basically locked in a room most of the time, just crying. I think it's one of those things that is kind of like a mark of like, you you know, this film's going to be quite decent if Paul Dano's in it, I always think. Yeah. I think he's a director now, isn't he? He's gone into that. Is he? Yeah, he directed Wildfire or something. Are you looking forward to the new Batman film that he's in? Is he? He's playing the Riddler. With Robert Pattinson? Yeah. Well, this is interesting as well, isn't it? Because Robert Pattinson's actually done something similar to Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Really tried hard. I mean, I think Daniel Radcliffe's done it like with more good grace, (laughs) maybe. Or like in happier spirits, because I always think that Robert Pattinson was quite dismissive about his time on Twilight. Very, yeah. Where like <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe's playing films where either he's a dead guy fighting, or what's the recent film, Guns Akimbo, Guns where he's just got guns attached to his hands. <laughs> that feels actually like a bit of a sequel to this, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, prequel. Maybe that's how he ended. Oh, up. Prequel. That's how he died. <laughs> We've sort of said there's obviously negatives about this film. It's not all great, and it is, you know, it's very weird. Obviously, it stands aside from a lot of films in the last few years, which have kind of been like sequels or remakes and things like that. Do you think there's like enough films out there that sort of just have like a strange concept and just go whole hog for it? Well, that's essentially what A24 does. Well, you say that, but I mean, like, they did Midsommar, didn't they? And actually, I thought that that was a bit poor, personally. But I know they, they've done other things which would sort of fall into that weird and out there category. But I, I don't know if there's enough studios out there doing this kind of strange film. Because I think like, if you pitch this film, it feels like it wouldn't get made like 98% of the time. I'm trying I'm trying to think of like examples. Like I guess it's that middle ground comedy. I feel you can go boss the wall, screw, really kooky screwball, and it's kind of accepted. They're usually led though, aren't they? They're usually led by yeah. a comedian that sort of like well it's the dra- It's the drama, it's the middle ground. Like, it's, like comedy, yeah, horror... I feel it's easy with horror to kind of have like a, an unusual moral core. But I'm trying to think of a drama that's really sort of just really kooky. I know this borders on it is a comedy element, but it still has those sort of weird drama There's elements. There's dramatic elements, yeah. I think with this, like, it just, it sound, it's just so bizarre. It's like, it's not, it's not like anything else, really. No. And it just, it just seems like, what, how did this get made? And I, yeah. obviously they went through the Sundance route, but... It just, I don't know. I just I just wondered what you guys think it did. But I mean, I suppose the question is like, do you think there should be more films like this? Or do you think actually what makes it good is that it's sort of out there on its own? <laughs> it's it's going to end up in one of those sort of like like Arrow movie videos collections that are just weird for the sake of being weird. Being weird. And that they've they've got a they've basically have a cult following. It's designed for a cult following, isn't it? It's never going to break ground or make it into the Oscars, those kind of films. Yeah. It's fortunate that it has two basically global I mean, Daniel Radcliffe definitely global star. Paul Dano, very you know indie darling. If without them, it, no one would no one would care. It would be completely fall on its ass. Yeah, I think they do say. I mean, yeah. it's their commitment and their like to the roles and how they sort of play everything so straight that makes it work. I think. I think because yeah. it could very easily become ridiculous. I mean, it oh, obviously yeah. it is still ridiculous, but it could become even more stupid if they weren't playing it so serious. So I think they do really carry the film. Yes, definitely. It does make me think that this film would be improved by either being more dramatic or being more comedic. Mm. As if they just stuck to one. If it'd be more of one or more of the other. Mm. See, I feel like like Midsommar. I mean, I liked Midsommar, and I, but I almost treat that as like some sort of weird nightmare comedy because I almost I found myself laughing when I felt like I shouldn't be laughing. I felt, yeah, I, I did as well. Uh, how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too far. I did that with Hereditary as well. Ari Aster's other film. That. Yeah, but it has to be boundaried. You can't just—I mean—you can go back and think of examples from the history of film that are just completely 
kooky crazy and have lasted and people say they're amazing things like i mean like Eraserhead, i guess is a good example yeah. and Lou, like louis bunuel films from like the 30s and 40s that are just really left field but most of the time they just they do just fall flat or like i say they end up in those sort of midnight you know like i'm trying to think of the 70s and 80s you know those um like back alley midnight films that they played that were just completely no one was ever going to show them and that's why they became famous counterculture this is not modern society it was more like the shock and awe of it but nowadays we're we're, sh- we're shocked and awed by everything nothing it's really hard to surprise us and swiss army man does <laughs> so it's got that element of it for 2016 <laughs> to still make a film that's like what the hell is this yeah i think that was i think that's why it stood out so much to me you watch it and think it's just like what is like what are these things that they're thrown together for this film it just feels like they're just put some of the most random things together and just like hope it works which it kind of does at parts and not others yeah but i just i just thought it was like an interesting point of discussion to kind of think about there's so many films where obviously they're just aiming to please everybody they're trying yeah. and so nothing ever really kind of reaches at the heights or you know reaches a, an interesting pinnacle it's just always sort of like mellows out into the middle ground if people ever want to see more weird films there is the if you go on 366weirdmovies.com it has 366 of the weirdest movies of all time and it's updated constantly, and you should just work your way through them because you'll you'll recognise a lot, but some of them are just uh, well, very on this same level, though, just amazing for being. There's nothing else like it. Is this film on it? Uh, I've not checked it recently. This, I was oh. just I just had a quick look over some of the stuff. Some of the things you'll even look on there and go, "That's not that weird." But that's basically because we're talking about Shrek. Swiss. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something on. I'm just looking at something on there. That's... Oh wait, no, it's Shrek for insulty. Oh, all right, okay. I mean, Run Mother runs on it, so that's not that weird. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the the way it's presented is weird. Yeah, like the, but yeah, with the resetting. Have a look at it. Mother. That was a weird one. Was that the the Darren, the Darren Aronofsky thing? Yeah, that was that was. That was <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually kind of like high concept build, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't love the. End. To be fair, in a, in a lot of similar ways to Swiss Army Man, the ending kind of uh, ruined that film. But let's not go into the ending of that film as well. Don't want to spoil every film, are we? <laughs> <laughs> so it only came out a few years ago, but do you still think it holds cultural significance today? I do, even if it's just like because of what Ben said, where it'll go down in like the annals of history of being like a really unusual step in cinema. <laughs> I personally, when I asked the question about whether I think like there should be more films like this. I think they should because I just it just adds like a different texture to this sort of cinematic universe, I suppose. I know like this kind of film is never gonna please everybody and they obviously knew that when they made it. And I think even Daniel Radcliffe when he was doing his press tours was sort of saying, Look, you there's about half of you are probably not gonna enjoy this film and that's true, isn't it? I think I think it, a lot of people would just watch the beginning scene and be like, What on earth is going on? But it does it does bring something different and it, it's good to see people trying to do something weird and strange and original. True. Although Thunderpants got there first. How about Thunderpants you, Thunderpants did get there first. Yeah, most the same thing as Alex, I guess. It all significance in that it will hold its place in a sort of corner of cinematic history that will be on the shelves of those sort of unusual collections like the Arrow video just becomes that film of, oh, do you remember that film with the farting dead guy? Um, if you want to be known for that, great. I guess some people will set higher bars within cinema. Yeah, yeah. And and with the song, that obviously still has cultural significance because of eBay. So thank you, eBay. <laughs> Thanks, eBay. Ba, ba. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. Uh, so that brings us on to the ultimate question. Movie or song? I'm looking at my DVD collection on the wall and I want to start reading out some of them because people start getting views of me that I, I won't be too pleased about. 
But, read, read, read. Um, what, like Frankenhooker. You've seen some of these films when you came to my house. Where well, was one of them about Frogtown? Lords of Frogtown, yeah. <laughs> Lords of Frogtown. Which had Roddy Piper in it. I mean, Buckaroo Bonsai across the eighth dimension or whatever it is. Films like this that are, like I said, they, they, there's nothing like them. So I feel like I do really like the song and it, it's been in my head quite a lot. I probably like the song more than the film, but I think Alex's point earlier, I do feel like you need these films to exist. Uh, so I'm going to say film. So you prefer the song, but you feel like you have an obligation to pick the movie. Because, just because, <laughs> just because my, I've, got, I've got a little bit of space on my shelf and I, I can just see where it just fits perfectly. It just fits there. Just wait for Arrow Video to make a cool sort of front cover and then I'll be on it. <laughs> okay. One nil to the movie, Alex? Um, I think you know that I'm also going to say film. But I, it, I, it is more difficult than, than I thought it would be because the song just like really gets stuck in my head. And it's just, I just, it just makes me feel uplifted every time I hear it. But I think just because of how strange and unusual the film is. And I think it's more than, I think that is the best scene where the song features, but I think it's more than just that one scene that I enjoyed about it. So I think for that reason, I'd say film. But I think it's a very good song. Hell comes to Frogtown, not Lords of Frogtown. I was going to say, I'm sure it's not Lords come from... <laughs> Lords of Dogtown, that's the film. It's Hell comes to uh... Frogtown. Sorry, Roddy Piper's family. What do you think the budgets of this film was? <laughs> The budget for the first Swiss Army Man was two million, so it's relatively large. Well, I mean, not really, but Wait, I imagine I had a large part of that was just the salaries for Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Maybe they took a big cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose Daniel Rad- <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe doesn't need money, does he? No, exactly. So it's two 0 to the movie so far, I think, if I'm tracking that. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm picking song. If it was that scene from that movie, I'd pick the scene over the song over the movie. Yeah, yeah, it is great. Sounds like a good podcast. It, that's not the that's not the ultimate question. The ultimate question is movie or song. So I have to take the movie as a whole and therefore pick the song. So you're picking the song because it's of that scene? Yes. Yeah, I think that that's fair. It's because of people like you, D, that I'm going to have space on my shelves. My DVDs are going to be slightly off right angle because of you. Why don't you just buy the single of this? Why, why would I, I wouldn't have a CD? Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of person are you? Are you mad? You know, DVDs are discs, right? It really, it really angers me that one DVD I bought from that collection isn't the same size as the other Blu-rays. Why would you do it? Night of the Living Dead is not in a normal box. It's just slightly bigger. Why? Why, Criterion? Why? Why would you do it? Honestly. <laughs> that is annoying. Let me know. On the topic of Frank and Hooker, we come to the end of today's episode. <laughs> what did you think of Swiss Army Man? Please send us your explanation of the ending to our Twitter, which is TSFTMPod. You can also tell us which one you think is better, the movie or the song, but I'd rather just hear your hot takes on how the ending should be explained. And also, just to add there, like I'm thinking maybe we haven't described that well like how what the film actually is. It, it can't really be explained without watching, I don't think. Time for some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Manny, I think your penis is guiding us home. Oh, so close to picking that one. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Ben. If you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. Oh, that's the one above <laughs> the one that I've just said. <laughs> IMDB page, Ben, for quotes. <laughs> Good to know you do your prep beforehand. Oh, yeah. So, goodbye, everybody. See you later. Bye. Goodbye. Do we know whether or not Emma Watson's been in a film which involved a lot of farting? Uh.
she in Thunderpants? Because because Rupert Groom is in Thunderpants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little women. Maybe this is the true Deathly Hallows. <laughs>